Hello, and welcome to Everybody A, Everybody Gay. A queer exploration of Pretty Little Liars. With your hosts, Speak Pirate, a.k.a. Joanna, I'm here, I'm queer, and I have a cat named Spencer. And your other host, LCO123, a.k.a. Vina, a proud member of the Church of Vander Jesus. Oh, hello, and welcome to Cover For Me, a somewhat convoluted episode that has a lot of different irons in the fire and a ton of superfluous men. Yeah, a real ug of an episode is what I would call this one. It is just, it is not a very fun time. Um, we, we There's a lot of just sort of plot threads that are, that are not really um, coming together very well. Um, and we'll just, I feel like we can just say up at the top here, as we've been saying, like, there's a lot of like bad treatment of addiction in this episode that we will be talking about. So watch True. out. For that. Yeah. True. The, the plot lines in this episode, uh, in this pandemic time, uh, that has now been going on for like a year, uh, we've been watching a lot of, uh, a reality show called Forged in Fire, uh, which is about people trying to blacksmith. And uh, this episode is like when they try to forge weld a billet and it all just comes apart. Like it, it falls into like just different random pieces of metal. Uh, that's what I feel like is happening here. Uh, but this is the episode where Arya has her lost weekend in Syracuse. Like at least go to Vegas, Arya. Come on. Um, but she has her lost weekend. We meet Sober Dean uh, who... Wow, he is um, not a great addiction counselor, but he is definitely a buzzkill whenever I see him on screen. Uh, and then Mike and Mona break up. Um, Spencer continues to accuse herself of murder. Hannah cracks the case of who sent in the tip about Allison. And we learn that Prezra's best guess is that Mrs. D is actually A. Uh, speaking of Mrs. D, we also get our first, later retconned, look at Mary Drake. It's a lot. And it's weirdly paced. Yeah, there's, uh, there is, there's, there are a lot of like retconning crumbs in this episode because we have now the whole backstory that Spencer was on amphetamines on that night. Um, something that we were just talking about before we started recording is like we now it's it's we're at the point where the characters have accepted that Prezra is not a, and it just feels like such a letdown. Like it just feels like we're just sort of treading water to get to this finale a is for answers that won't really have that many answers that are very satisfying. And so it's, it's, it's a strange way to construct the back half of a season that had some really strong episodes there um, around, you know, shadow play and, and some of those. Yeah. Well, this is kind of like a time warp. Like when we were talking about uh, in in the season uh, in season three, when we had, uh, Lyndon, and if you had asked me how many of those episodes was Lyndon in, I would have said 300 out of 12. <laughs> like he was in so many of them, uh, and then he really wasn't in all that many. Uh, this is like if you had said like how many episodes are there after we find out about Prezra like writing the book until like the end of the season A is for answers, I would have said like I don't know like like one <laughs> half of yeah. one. I don't know. I, I I did not have a good memory that we like kind of like uh we kind of limp along a little bit until we until we finally get to um the the first like uh attempt to explain everything that happened that night, which is which is coming up uh in just two more episodes, right? 
Yeah, yeah. And it's it's funny because, you know, as we were talking about this, I was thinking, like, I had had the thought this episode, like, I was sort of like, what is A even really doing at this point? Like, like when A put the dirt and in Spencer's bed, I was like, oh, wow, it feels like it's been a while since A has kind of done something like this, like something sort of physical and specific. And it reminded me that, like, this... This is very reminiscent of the post-jump time period when A's motivation does not really make any sense. And the liars are constantly having to sort of like uh, contextualize for the audience like why A is even doing what they're doing. And they have a conversation towards the end of this episode where it's like, but why would A want to do that? Like, aren't And it's like basically A and the liars are like practically on the same side about a lot of the Alice and stuff. And so it's just it's. It's starting to feel more and more convoluted, I think. Yeah, that's definitely true. And when we talk about the weird pacing of this episode, um, this episode like stretches over about a week of time because we, when we come in, we find out that Spencer's been in rehab for three days. And then uh, there are many like morning to night, morning to night, morning to night time periods that take place here. So it's really like a long stretch of time. And the dirt thing is like the only thing that like is a just like really into that bridal gown situation (laughs) so like it they just like don't have the they don't have the spoons to really be like coming after the liars they don't care that aria has gone like outside of their range they don't care about this whole presser blow up that's going on uh they don't care that hannah is being hounded by the cops again they're just like some dirt in the bed and now back to sewing. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah, it when when like the audience can can point to things that A maybe should be like you know seizing on, A is maybe a little bit off their game. Yeah, I think A is like just kind of, you know, A is having a lost weekend as well, I think <laughs> in this episode. But when you were talking about like the liars, this is the part where the liars have all decided um that Presbyterian isn't A. One thing that's a really uh, a weak point of this portion of the season is that there is no concrete reason for the liars to be where they are in any type of theory of the crime. Like, there's a point in this episode when Emily is going to say, oh, we assumed it was Cece who stole the game from you. And to to Mona, she says that. And it just makes me want to scream. It's like, why did you ever stop thinking that? That is what turns out to be the answer. Like, ah. So it's like, (laughs) There's, there's really no reason why they stopped thinking that. There's not really a reason why they stopped thinking that Prezra was A. Like, there's not, there's not really a clear line for, like, what anyone is thinking or why exactly they're thinking it. Yeah, ex- exactly, exactly. And I feel like when we get to A is for answers, the CC being A of it all is going, like, that whole, like, there's so much that's just going to fall apart under the weight of that, you know, as we're allegedly getting some of the backstory of certain things. Yes. Shall we, (laughs) shall we jump in? Let's, let's jump into this hodgepodge of an episode. (laughs) Oh, so Spencer is in her bedroom, and she is unpacking sweaters. She is back after three whole days in rehab. Three days! My goodness! She's wow. cured! Um, she and Veronica have a brief chat that is frequently interrupted by Spencer having these uh, persistent flashbacks of her fight with Allison. Uh, the fight where Allison said that Spencer was out of her league, and then Spencer grabbed a shovel. Uh, Veronica suggests that Spencer should get some rest, and that they have things to discuss tomorrow. 
Yes. Yeah. The Hastings uh, strategy for dealing with Spencer lately seems to just be like springing things on her before she can run away. Um, they sprung rehab on her last episode and they're going to spring sober coach Dean on her in the morning. But there's really this vibe that like the Hastings are done with dealing with Spencer's drug habit. And so is the show. Uh, everything about everything about their treatment of Spencer in this episode is I, I mean, they haven't been doing a great job up till now. Uh, and it seems like in this episode, they're mainly interested in sort of outsourcing Spencer to be sober coach Dean's problem. Uh, which yeah, is a choice. Yeah, it's it's quite a choice. It is quite a choice. For sure. Yeah. The, the, the Hastings, though, they're not winning any parenting awards this episode. Or they ever. are not. <laughs> so we cut over to a frat party. It, it, this is like, um, feels like the kind of party where, you know, Eric Kahn might show up. Uh, but in the middle of it all, we see Aria drinking from a red solo cup and making out with a grungy Logan Huntsberger type. Um, this is Riley. Although, as we talked about before we started recording, there's a bit of a mystery of how we know his name is Riley. <laughs> yeah, we may not find that out until his final scene in the episode. But spoiler alert, we're telling you now, this character's name is Riley. Uh, he's a boring <laughs> dude. So there you go. There you go. And this is clearly Aria, you know, she last episode, she got in her car and was driving. And here is where she has ended up. At this frat party. Yeah. Um, this is all quite silly and frivolous. Like her whole Lost Weekend situation. And another example of Arya basically being on a completely different show. Uh, but I will yeah. drop a mention of keeping our eye on the ball. While the show plays this little shell game with us. Uh, like Prezra's crime and betrayal is primarily framed as an issue for his romantic relationship with Arya. Uh, and here they're making it the kind of thing that you might be able to get over by kissing some rando at a party, which, sure. to put it mildly, is incorrect. Well, I have a question for you about this Aria plot, which is, does this feel in character to you of how Aria might react to the situation that she is in? think I mean yes and no I like I I can see the argument for no because it's not like we really ever see Arya behave like this at any other point in the series mm -hmm. um but I am also gonna say yes because I think that we have seen all of the liars at different times Hannah a little bit less than the others but but maybe in some ways a little bit more um where their method of coping is to try to be someone else. And so <laughs> I'm willing, I'm willing to accept the last weekend thing as Aria trying to be someone else, trying to like be a different girl that didn't have her whole world just fall apart. Yeah, I can see that. I can also see Aria almost being like, I need to have the kind of lost weekend that they have in the movies, you know? Yes. And <laughs> I almost wish that they would lean into that a little bit more and have it be like Aria is sort of like putting on the drag of like being this, you know, boozy college girl or whatever. Um, but this, it, to me, it feels a little bit lazy that they're just like, have her go on a lost weekend. You know, like there's just, there's nothing 
spe- very specifically Arya about the way they construct this story. Oh, yeah, I definitely, I definitely agree with that. And it also does not help the character of, of Riley is like one of the least fleshed out um, characters that, that we see. I, and, you know, the show in its later seasons is rife with characters who uh, are not at all fleshed out. But this, this guy is a very, very early example of that. Uh, and I'm just going to say, if if they wanted to be this lazy with the Riley character and they wanted to be this lazy with the Arya Lost Weekend plotline, the number one thing they should have done to make it more interesting is have Riley be a woman. They wouldn't have even had to change the name. I was just going to say that. I was just going to say, yeah, have Riley be a woman. Like, yeah, that would have that would have made it so much better. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so speaking of Arya's female love interests, uh, Spencer <laughs> is coming downstairs, and for no for no real reason at all, we we for some reason see the upper part of the staircase in this scene, which we <laughs> almost never see for all the time Spencer's coming down the stairs. Um, just it has lovely windows, so that's the best part of this scene. Uh, in the kitchen, Veronica announces they have taken Spencer's car keys. She will not be going to school. She will need to hand over her cell phone and her laptop. uh, And then she will have to earn back these privileges by working through a program with substance abuse counselor Dean Stavros, who will be living in the barn and wants Spencer to um, essentially be a prisoner in her own home and also to pee in a cup to prove that she is clean. Uh, once again, getting buy-in from Spencer for her treatment plan should be a much higher priority. Um, Spencer is very concerned that she's not allowed to call Toby. And then Veronica high-handedly says, well, she already had a conversation with him, but not with Spencer, about this plan of action. So they're just talking to everybody about this plan, except Spencer, who this plan primarily concerns. Right. And once again, it's all treated from the standpoint of punishment rather than rehabilitation. Um, there is absolutely zero examination on the part of the Hastings to Spencer being in the situation that she's in now. Um, and I really like the way that this Dean guy just inserts himself into the conversation and sort of is almost facilitating this conversation, but in this very sort of weird underhanded way, like it's just, it's just bad. Spencer of course feels really ganged up on here. And um, the, also the way that Veronica does this, like of course Spencer is going to feel animosity towards Dean. This guy has just completely been sprung on her. So just a failure all around. Yeah, and also the the way that they treat Spencer, um, the way that they treat Spencer throughout this episode, uh, which is as if she is a prisoner and she isn't trustworthy, uh, they're kind of acting like the only possible way that they can get Spencer to stay sober uh, is by like locking her away in a tower where there are no drugs. uh, And that's the only way they can ever know. And that is a fantastically ineffective way. Like, first of all, like an addict who is like an addict who is not interested in rehabilitation, who's not buying into their rehabilitation plan, they're always going to find a way to get something like that's just that's the nature of addiction. That's the nature of the disease. Uh, And you have to like be able to equip a person to like 
function out in the world. Like, mm-hmm. it is not going, it is not practical that the Hastings are just going to keep Spencer locked in her room until she's 40. Uh, it, th- th- this is not, this is not a great way of handling it in, in any, in any universe, I feel. Well, I completely agree. And also the idea that Spencer's support system is a privilege that she has to earn is really, really bad because she ends up being so isolated uh, by this whole situation. I just hate it. Yeah. And the people who are in the situation, who are aware of the situation, are doing nothing to support her. Like they are just doing less than nothing. They're doing their best to make her feel small. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, and there also seems to be this vibe of Veronica being like, like thinking that Spencer is like getting drugs from the liars, um, which is, is a sort of like implied thing that they don't really follow up on in any way. But it's like, you know, is Veronica having conversations with the other liar parents about this? Like there's just, there's just a lot of layers that we're not really looking at here in the way this storyline is being told. And one of the things that I, I guess a question I have about this whole plot line is like, obviously we can watch this and be like, wow, the Hastings are handling this really poorly. Is that what the show thinks it's telling us? Or- oh, oh no. I think the show is telling us this is the way to deal with this situation I is to so rule too. with an iron fist. I think so too. Like, oh, poor Veronica. She's just doing the best she can with her druggy daughter. Um, and it's, yeah, that's where, it, because if, if they were doing sort of a nuanced look at, like, how not to treat your daughter with addiction, maybe that would be something. But no, they're they're doing they're doing this instead. And it's bad. Um, Aria, extremely hungover. Uh, in, I love Aria's hungover outfit because this is where I was like, okay, Aria thinks she's in a movie about a lost weekend. Because she's got this, like, oversized sweater with smiley faces on it, a beanie, and giant sunglasses. And she's sitting on a picnic table in the bright sun. uh, And she looks, you know, you were talking about how she's so small and so mad in the last episode. And she just looks so, like, tiny on this little park bench with this big beanie on. Um, But we learn through a phone call with Emily that she is in Syracuse uh, with her dad, who is nowhere to be found, uh, pretending to be here for a student week. Uh, This episode really shows how the Montgomery and Hastings parents only want their daughters to appear normal and okay, rather than digging deeper to investigate if they actually are doing okay, as evidenced by the fact that Arya is completely falling apart here and Byron just is oblivious and like inviting her out to dinner. Uh, Emily is concerned about Arya and offers to come up there, but Arya says she is not alone. Just then, Riley approaches and this dude sucks. He is full of smarmy self-confidence and just this, like, sort of over-it attitude. Like, he thinks that he has everybody's number and knows everything about, you know, college and life and playing guitar. Uh, they They consider going on the tour, but instead decide that it's time for pancakes and he steals her sunglasses. Yeah, I want to like him more than I do because he's like at least a more age appropriate love interest and he's not like stalking her and her friends and, uh, you know, abusing like a disturbing power dynamic, etc, etc. But I'm not interested in grading on a curve. He's clearly supposed to be kind of floppy and endearing, but his face is so smug that I just I can barely look at him. His dialogue in the later scene that they have where they're in the hotel room together, I like 
I like wanted to scream like some of the things like just the way that he was speaking and the way I mean the actor I feel like the actor is like he's he's almost doing the anti um uh uh Travis like he's like putting a little too much like something on it and it like makes it more annoying yeah yeah I think that's that's definitely true um but props to Aria for like being so hungover and then being like oh I need my perfect hangover outfit yeah yeah, I know (laughs) I feel like she curated curated this whole wardrobe like for this specific experience like later she has this very 90s ish outfit when they're like sitting on that dock yeah yeah indeed indeed Oh, so back at school, Emily is filling Hannah in on Aria being away in Syracuse. They talk about Spencer uh, not being allowed visitors and having seen Prezra's car in the parking lot, which means he is back teaching at school. Uh, They also catch sight of Mona and Mike having a big fight in the hallway. Uh, Mona looks miserable, and she's so upset that she actually stares past Hannah uh, to where Prezra is standing and watching them all like the major creep that he is. Uh, Emily wants to confront him immediately, uh, but Hannah is only up for property damage as revenge, not for actually being in the same room with him. Uh, She also tells Emily that she is going to be skipping last period. Will Emily be okay on her own? Emily most certainly will. Yeah, cover for her. I feel like this is like the first like cover for me of the episode, even though I don't think (laughs) Hannah actually says cover for me. Um, Also, I feel like they are maybe less concerned than they should be about their missing friends. Yes, yes, I definitely agree. It's like normally there are four of them. Now (laughs) we're down to like just Hannah and Emily and Hannah's about to leave school. So, yeah. Yeah, and they both just seem kind of like casual about the whole thing. It's a little, I don't know. Um, So now we have what I would say is the best scene of this episode, which is Emily goes into Fitz's classroom, her gaze cold as ice. Um, Prezra sort of, he does his kind of like, his thing that he does where he like sort of vaguely calls out the thing before the other person can do it as a way of kind of, um, you know, just putting it out there, like getting ahead of the, getting ahead of the curve. He says that he'd prefer to talk to her outside of a classroom about all of this. He's sure that he's she's heard a lot from Arya, uh, but that's not going to happen. Emily has already spent a lot of time talking to him outside of the classroom, and she runs through the ways he has allegedly supported her over the years, uh, including his tutoring after Maya died and, you know, working on different projects with her. She asks why he did it and what he got out of it. She pulls out her essay for the class, announcing that she did the assignment, but she will not be attending the class, and just ends with a savage blow. Will you make sure a real teacher gets this? Yeah. No notes. 10 of 10, Emily. Tell him off again. It's interesting to me that, like, I feel like Emily is not the person you would expect would get the telling off Prezra scene. Like, you might think that it would be, like, Hannah or Spencer, but I like that they give it to Emily here. I do too. And I, I like that. Um, I, I feel like that in a, in a somewhat shitty episode, uh, this dynamic is really true to life that Aria is so mad and so hurt uh, that she's not able to have this interaction at this moment. Uh, right. But Emily as her friend is able to have like, Emily is able to take on the blind rage. Like Emily doesn't have to have like, feelings that are a little more checkered because she loved this guy or whatever like 
Emily mm-hmm. is just able to like go for the jugular here, which I appreciate. And I feel like the fact too that Emily brings up Maya and specifically that he like comforted her after that, after after that death, you know, like that makes it that much more sort of um the betrayal that much deeper and it's interesting that they have this interaction and then as you've pointed out like so much of the post-presra rehabilitation program is like centered on the romantic relationship yeah yeah Yeah. agree oh so hannah is grabbing coffee and she sees holbrook uh she goes over to clarify that their kiss shouldn't have happened won't happen again etc etc He kind of presses to see whether or not she's dating Travis. Uh, He repeatedly asks her to sit down. And then he springs the notes that Paige left in the cop car about Allison being alive uh, and the P.O. box where they should start looking uh, on Hannah. Hannah does not recognize the handwriting and tells him it's not from her. Uh, She asks if he's going to start looking for Allison. And he brushes it off as, you know, probably just a crackpot theory. But Hannah's reaction of then piecing out very, very quickly with kind of a flimsy excuse seems to raise his suspicions. Yeah, and he's just a little too flirty with her this whole scene. Oh, yeah. And he's like using like they they interact. He's flirting. She's like kind of saying, no, that was a mistake before. And he's using his position as as a cop, as a man who gets to say, no, no, I need you to sit down. He's yeah. using that to get her to stay longer, which is, um, you know, of course, deplorable. Yeah. Yeah. He's using that and simultaneously using like their burgeoning whatever. Like it's yeah, it's weird. It's weird. Oh, my God. This scene. OK. Um, I feel like I got like the best scene of the episode and now I'm getting maybe the worst scene. My my opening note for this scene is, oh, my gosh, Arya is in a horror movie. <laughs> Yes. So Arya, so now it's morning again. It's like the next day. Yeah. 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 Like you said, the passage of time is weird in this episode. Um, So it's the morning after Arya is in a wrecked hotel room with um, alcohol receptacles all over this room, hearing the illustrious sounds of Riley playing his guitar. He stops when she wakes up, but she encourages him to keep playing, which you know that he planned it that way. Like he saw her starting to stir and then he ran over there to his guitar. He informs her that his guitar is named Antonio. And when Aria asks that, you know, mentions him naming his guitar Antonio, he says he likes to think that Antonio named himself. Reader, this man must die in a fire. He is truly (laughs) the worst. Also, is Byron paying for this hotel room? <laughs> like, this whole situation of Byron, like, footing the bill for Arya's lost weekend at Brady <laughs> Bar. I, I mean, I kind of love it because Byron is terrible. But it's also just hilarious how, like, uncaring these two teenagers are about this whole situation. Well, also, Byron is, like, in a French farce or something because we keep hearing <laughs> about him. Like, like, every scene, it's like, oh, Byron was just around but now he's gone he was just putting leftovers in the fridge he was just taking aria to dinner he's just next door paying for the sex room like (laughs) he's like constantly he's constantly like just off screen but of course we are never going to see him in this episode uh because he's not actually present in any of his kids life he might be a ghost at this point we're really not sure it's extremely possible um riley has a few more 
ugh lines in this episode. Like the, um, Arya mentions that her dad is a professor. And Riley says, what does he profess? And when Arya says it's art history, Riley asks if she's into art too, which is like, that's like asking like, have you ever listened to music before? Like, what's Arya going to say? Like, no, I hate art. Um, and then when Arya shares some mild concern about the fact that, you know, they've gone through 200 bottles, $200 worth of mini bottles of alcohol, Riley suggests just tell your dad you had the drunkies. They kiss, and I declare that Riley might be the worst non-OTP boy of the entire series. Um, I think that because it is like Valentine's Day week, I think we should probably examine that further at the end of the episode. Great idea. Great idea. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't I don't think you're wrong, but it's also this, uh, this is an episode that includes Hannah and Travis, who last week we discussed as like the lowest level chemistry of any couple that they try to make happen. Uh, so it's really like this episode is really <laughs> slow going because uh, as as angry as we can get at like the writing for the primary partners, like at least the primary partners are like weight bearing in terms of like the emotional load. Like these these yahoos are just like running around strewing little mini bar bottles everywhere and naming their guitars and it's untenable. <laughs> yeah, I will I just have to say, like, yes, absolutely agree on the Travis chemistry thing, obviously. But I don't actually hate Travis the character. Um, I more just hate that he has no chemistry with Hannah. I actually think Travis is like an okay guy. He's just not interesting. Yeah, yeah, I would agree. Travis as a character, I feel rates kind of near like the karate Jake yeah. level of, of characterization. Like in terms of just like, you know, don't don't hate him, just not much there. Right, right. It's just sort of a it's just sort of a a zero mm-hmm. versus like somebody like Riley who's like an active actively a negative presence. <laughs> oh my goodness. Oh, okay. So now it's nighttime again. Uh, and we're back at Spencer's. She is freshly showered and sliding into bed only to find that under the covers is a big pile of dirt and a note from a that says you dug her grave. Now I'm digging yours. Yikes. This is, uh, this is really, uh, I feel like this prank uh, of A's is it's pretty up there, like in terms of just like yeah. uh, unexpectedness, gruesomeness, grossness. Uh, th- this is a pretty good one. This is like a top tier. Putting something in somebody's bed, you know, where they're supposed to be able to sleep and dream and relax. It's yeah, it's 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 a lot. And, you know, lest we forget last week, A put the pills in Spencer's locker. So a is really putting Spencer through it right now. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Um, so back at school, Hannah, who I felt like was looking very Mona today uh, in her outfit. It's a cute outfit, but it looks like something Mona would wear. Maybe Mona helped her pick it out. Um, tells Emily that somebody else knows that Allison is alive. Uh, Emily immediately is on alert, likely connecting this to the page reveal last week. But she doesn't mention that she told Paige. Uh, just then, Travis shows up for an invite to the Marins for dinner, and Emily weirdly, like, hides behind a pole and stares at them the whole time. 
it's very it's an odd choice like it's it's she could just stand there and be sort of idly watching them but she's like actively like 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 peeping on them it's a little weird um but travis also asks hannah out on a date he is looking even more like he belongs in the army in this episode to me maybe he got a fresh buzz cut uh emily wants hannah to confirm that uh travis asked hannah out and hannah completely tempts fate by saying i hope nothing else crazy happens between now and then (laughs) hannah do we need to remind you of what show you're on (laughs) (laughs) yeah this is like when we talk about like the weird pacing of this episode like day to night night to day when is it what is it like this is definitely a new day from the last time we saw hannah and emily because they're wearing different outfits but also like wouldn't Hannah have told Emily prior to this? Like, wouldn't they have been in some kind of call or text communication regarding Holbrook's reveal that someone dropped a note in a cop car about Allison being alive? Like, what what, what is happening when people are not on screen in this episode? They're just in, like, suspended animation. They're frozen in ice. They're, like, having lunch with Byron Montgomery. What are they doing? Well, that's a great point. And also, like... It's a bit of a hat on a hat with the invite to the Marins because it's set up like that's going to be a scene that we're going to see. And that actually doesn't happen. Like the next time we see them together is on the date. So why couldn't Travis has just asked Hannah out on a date? Well, that's a good point. And also, like, who does that? Like, who? Like, you have you have a crush on someone. And they come up to you and they're like, hey, I have this invitation where we're going to do something together with like my family and your family. And then you're like, well, that sounds nice. But also I want to go out on this other date, which will happen before the event that you're like, it just seems like that's not it just it just seems like that's not a great way to conduct your yourself here. Like if Travis doesn't want his family to go over for dinner, he could just say, I'm not really into that but maybe you and I could grab dinner and that would also be fine (laughs) well yeah I just don't know why they needed like it's almost like they they don't want Hannah to seem too interested in this guy or something so they keep finding (laughs) don't worry (laughs) 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 the chemistry between them is just explosive (laughs) Um, but they keep finding ways to have her interact with him under the guise of them not flirting like, last episode, it was like, oh, I'm going to, like, weirdly get really involved in your dad's, like, probation case. I'm going to invite you over, but I'm not going to ask you out on a date. But then when you ask me out on a date, I'm going to say yes. So it's very, it's it's very odd. It's odd and, the way they're doing this. And both of the plans are for dinner. Like, it's not even <laughs> like, it's not even like he was like, hey, maybe we could, like, what the fuck does this guy like to do maybe we go to a rodeo sometime like you know it's not it's like that the only thing we know about travis is that he once wore a cowboy (laughs) and and he drives a tow truck but i i couldn't come up with anything uh, for that like on the top of my head we could go around town repossessing vehicles like what (laughs) just ride around in the bed of my truck for a while Oh, my God. Uh, Well, be that as it may, over at Spencer's, Dean is wearing a sweater that makes it hard to take him seriously, and he is trying to get Spencer to drink a vegetable smoothie for breakfast because nutrition will give her clarity. 
uh, taking away her agency to the point that she isn't even allowed to choose what to have for breakfast seems like a bad idea, um, but treating her like a prisoner seems to be the goal here, I guess. Uh, he asks about withdrawal symptoms she may be having, and she does do kind of a soft mention of hallucinations, which he says could be normal. Uh, he says he knows that she isn't sleeping. He heard her doing laundry at 2 a.m. Uh, now, here I say, isn't he on call 24-7? Why not intervene then at 2 a.m. when you're awake and you understand that she's doing laundry and maybe she's having a hard time and is in crisis? Like, why not do something then instead of just shaming her about it the next morning while you're trying to make her drink some spinach? Uh, anyway... She says that she needs to shower, uh, but she grabs the cordless phone to take into her bedroom as she goes. She tries to call Toby and leaves a really heartbreaking message saying, like, she's worried that he has, she hasn't heard from him and she wants to hear that she isn't a terrible person. Uh, this is really, this is really awful, especially because Sober Dean then appears in the doorway and catches her uh, because he doesn't hear running water. Uh, also, Spencer so clearly needs support. I hate that they're framing this as Spencer, you know, being bad uh, yeah. as she tries to reach out to her consistently disappointing boyfriend. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Especially at a time when Spencer, like for so many reasons, Spencer thinks that she's a bad person right now. Um, and everybody in her life is basically reinforcing that by the way that they're treating her. Yeah. Yeah, it's really bad. Um, so this next scene with Tanner and Holbrook, I feel like they just stepped out of the shadow play verse the way that they are talking. <laughs> because uh, Tanner is back with Holbrook. They accost Hannah on the street. Tanner also thinks that Hannah wrote the note, but Hannah swears she didn't write it. And then when Hannah walks away, Tanner and Holbrook have this conversation where Tanner's like, she's one tough little cookie. I kind of like her. Uh, but Tanner worries that they're getting the runaround. Holbrook thinks otherwise. There's lots of cop speak about, you know, something not jiving and him having to keep an eye on Hannah, which Holbrook would certainly love to do that. Um, the new theory is that the liars might all be in on whatever this latest note conspiracy thing is. I do not understand how police work is affected in Rosewood at all. They've gotten an anonymous tip. Why not go and investigate the tip rather than spending all of this time trying to get someone to confess to the actually not a crime of leaving them a tip? Like, what yes. is Holbrook's endgame here? If Hannah actually gave him this information anonymously, what is to be gained by hounding her uh, except ensuring that she never gives you any other information ever again? This is totally bizarre. I agree. And I also think, I mean, obviously they needed it to be a handwritten note for everything that happens, but I feel like Paige McCullers is smart enough that she probably would have typed that note out. Oh, that's hard to say. I think that Paige trusts the police and probably didn't expect. That's true. I, I probably did not expect Gabriel Holbrook to be like running around town trying to get in Hannah's pants and waving uh, the actual <laughs> note that she left in the face of one of the liars. I mean, that is probably an Fair unanticipated point. event on her part. That's a 
that is a fair, that is a fair point. Paige trusts in the police a lot. Many of these characters. Yes. Yes. Uh, oh. Oh. Hey. Uh, on the same small pier where Rory and Jess had that picnic on Gilmore <laughs> Girls, Arya finds her pasty-faced boy man. Uh, they discuss her plans to have dinner with her dad. And uh, then they talk about a bunch of Riley's white boy problems that I don't care about. Uh, music school, everybody in his whole family tree went to Syracuse. Like, what house is he going to be sorted into? Blah, blah, blah. Um, Aria talks about how she's had her heart broken and she needed to disappear for a while. Uh, dude bro with the bad facial hair says that it's weird that this guy broke her heart. And now she's the one in exile. It should be the other way around. Not that he's complaining as they continue their waterside canoodle. I mean, I do agree with that one thing he said. Um, but this is also another example of a scene that completely feels like Arya's in a different show. Like her styling is very 90s. <laughs> the lighting of this scene, like this isn't this isn't the kind of lighting we ever get in Rosewood. It does feel very like Gilmore Girls or like Dawson's Creek-ish. Like it's it's yeah. Yeah. It's like it's like a location from Gilmore Girls with Arya wearing like a costume styled for Dawson's Creek. Yeah, and even the music that starts playing in the background is like it's like not the usual PLL music. It's like this kind of plucky guitar music. Um yeah, this whole scene just it doesn't really feel like it belongs in this show. <clears throat> So, uh, it is nighttime again. <laughs> we are just zipping through these days in this episode. Um, which is funny, because I feel like there's a lot of episodes that, like, inexplicably all take place on one day. And this is, like, we're zooming through time here. Um, Veronica tells Spencer that she can go to bed as they're doing the dishes. Uh, but just then, there is a knock on the door. Uh, Mrs. D is here to ask about the upcoming bridal show fundraiser. Veronica is full of great, I know that you slept with my husband energy. Uh, (laughs) Mrs. D comments on Spencer looking well. And we learn that, of course, the Hastings have framed uh, Spencer's recent outburst and addiction as a shameful secret and are working on a cover up and some lie about, um, you know, an allergy to a medication. Uh, Spencer apologizes for the outburst. Mrs. D says it's fine. Um, Veronica has gone off to like check the schedule and, and Mrs. D makes this comment about she wouldn't expect Veronica to attend. Um, but it's for a good cause helping starving children. And she sort of eyes Spencer as she says, no mother should have to watch her child die. Spencer has been uh, toting a laundry basket full of her sheets through this scene. And then Mrs. D comments, nothing beats a good night's sleep on a set of fresh, clean sheets. Veronica comes back with the check and the announcement that she can't make the fundraiser while Spencer grapples with the newfound possibility that Mrs. D might be A. Yeah. um, So I have several questions. Number one, what has Spencer been doing on this um, on this I'm not an addict program all day that she couldn't even take her sheets upstairs? Like, was (laughs) Dean so busy making her drink smoothies that she like just didn't have a chance to do any chores like what what is the situation here um and and also i just want to i just want to think about um really giving a shout out to the 
chutzpah of Jessica De Laurentiis here, uh, who as recently as a few episodes, we believe, was sleeping with Peter Hastings, was actively having an affair with him, uh, which, knowing everything we know for the full run of the series, she is currently plotting a murder with him. Uh, but she True. just, like, waltzes on in to Veronica's house and is like, hey, bridal show. Like, it's actually an event <laughs> to invoke, like, the concept of marriage and who you're marrying. And, like, yeah, this is, um, th- this is, this is a lot. Jessica is super extra, but I'm here for it. I am too. I am too. I kind of like there there are moments in the series where I'm like I would watch the show about the parents and like I like I don't want to watch a show about Byron Montgomery um but I would totally watch the show about like the the bizarre goings on of like the De Laurentiis Hastings Drake parents. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder, do you think that like, uh, do you think that Peter ever tried to get like Veronica to agree to like, uh, to like a triad with Jessica? Do you think he ever like tried to talk her into like a specific like swinger polyamory kind of setup with her? You know, like, a, a, like, yeah, like sort of like a bit of like a big love situation where mm-hmm. they like raise mm-hmm. all their kids together. I think I feel like at at a, like he might have like suggested it in a moment, but like kind of framed it as like, oh, wouldn't this be so funny, honey? And then like seeing how she reacts to it. But um, I also feel like Mrs. D and Veronica could have some hate sex to like work out a lot of this aggression. I definitely, I definitely agree with that here. Um, Throw the man out and just you know that's always our solution. <laughs> Yeah, when when Veronica hands over the check and says, I hope this helps, like, she is, like, so clearly saying, like, get your, (laughs) get out of my house, you strumpet. Trollop. Yes. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Oh, um, back in Syracuse, Aria is packing up her stuff, preparing for her last day of the four-day campus visit Palooza. Um, pasty face dirtbag arrives to tell her that he's leaving early and going home to resolve his white boy family problems. They smooch and he presses something into her hands. Wouldn't it have been so much better if Riley was a female character and it was like he'd like, you know, like run away because he like was worried about coming out or something like that. And like because they're almost framing it as like a coming out arc for this character, but it's about wanting to go to guitar school rather than, <laughs> you know, being queer. It is. It is. And like I, I was telling you before we went on the air, I watched a lot of this episode with the closed captioning on and uh, he wants to go to Berkeley and like the closed captioning kept spelling it um, with like a bunch of E's at the end, like <laughs> Berkeley. And so uh, that's that's where I imagine he is going. Berkeley <laughs> Guitar School. <laughs> I like it. Um, so Emily is at the brew. It should be noted that there is a long line of customers at the counter. <laughs> but Mike Montgomery comes in oh. at a 15 looking for Aria. And Emily sort of shouts over her shoulder, cover for me. <laughs> and goes to have one of her many private conversations at Emily's open office hours here at the brew. 
Um, we learn that Mona has dumped Mike and he is very, very sad and he thinks that Arya might have something to do with it. Emily apologizes, but she doesn't think Arya was involved. Mike is just really upset and I can't blame him because, I mean, it is Mona after all. He is probably the only man I feel any sympathy for in this episode. Um, you know, later in this episode, I was kind of thinking about like, which liar would be the worst liar to be on a date with because they all like they all throughout the series are constantly like running out on their dates because of a drama. Uh, but Emily is far and away the worst coworker. Like, oh, oh, my oh, God. Yeah. Like, there, you know that there is like a slam book under the counter <laughs> at the brew where like the other baristas are just like angrily writing in like really tall capital letters about all the times that she's leaving in the middle of her shift or like leaving like this giant line of customers. The other person who was working there was like doing stuff. She was like clearing tables and Emily's just yep. like, cover for me. And there's this giant line. Anyway, yeah, I bet that they have like a group, a group text thread that's called like <laughs> Emily Club or something. I'm <laughs> beauty with her again. <laughs> with some blonde chick. Oh my God. Um, I also want to just like shout out to like Mike Montgomery. He's so mad here. Uh, and he's acting like he wants to like talk to Aria so he can blame her for this breakup with, with Mona. But like, What's really going on here is, like, he is a teenager who has struggled with mental health problems, who did not want his mom to move to Europe, who is now all by himself in the Montgomery house while his dad has moved his primary residence to Syracuse, and his (laughs) sister, who is the only somewhat stable presence in his life, like Aria. Wrap your head around that. Aria is the somewhat stable presence. Uh, She is off lost weekending elsewhere. Uh, and and he's just like kind of left in the situation where his girlfriend, who he had genuine feelings for, has broken up with him via text for no discernible reason. And he's just he's struggling. He's struggling enough that he pours all of this out to Emily uh, because Arya is like very irresponsibly not answering his calls or texts. True. Very, very true. Yeah. Poor Mike. Like, oh, man. The Mike show, I feel like, is a very dark show. Like, <laughs> yes. At the court. Yeah. Yes. So, back over in Syracuse, we see the scrap of paper that, for some reason, they couldn't have just included in the end of the last scene. Like, I don't know why they need this <laughs> little, like, insert of the scene. Um, but it's Arya unwraps it, and um, it is a free beat-up-a-jerk card. Uh, but he thinks that she can handle it. He, it looks like he's really spent some time on this thing. And this is where we officially learn that his name is Riley. Um, Arya sort of seems to have a flash of realization and she grabs her bag. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you want to take to Spencer and Dean since I, that was a I pretty quick take, scene? I can take this. I can take Spencer and Dean. Um, Dean is punishing Spencer with running and punishing the audience by rhyming uh, and giving <laughs> Spencer some tough love. They keep running. Spencer has another flashback to grabbing the shovel and chasing Allie. In the flashback, Allie trips and Spencer brings the shovel down over her. Dean asks Spencer what's going on and she sort of gasps, possibly in the same woods where um, Paige revealed to Emily that they had kissed. Uh, she thinks that she knows what she did. Oof. Um After the break, Dean has made Spencer some calming tea and wants to talk. 
Uh, she's concerned about what she doesn't remember, what her what her family does. Uh, she says that she should have known she was capable of that. She's done bad things before. Uh, Dean tells her to reframe this as a positive, that maybe she's ready emotionally to take responsibility for her actions and to try to make good. Spencer's like, what does that even mean? Uh, and refuses to get into any more specifics of what she may or may not have done. Um, as a super bullshit reward for Spencer's emotional turmoil, Dean hands her a letter from Toby that is hilariously postmarked from London. Uh, it's not marked airmail or anything like that, interestingly, since Toby himself has, I guess, made it to England, wrote the letter, <laughs> mailed it, and had it arrive in Rosewood already. Um, also, remember how later we're going to find out that he went to England to break the news to Melissa that Spencer was in rehab? Because, like, a physical visit <laughs> from Toby would somehow be better than a call from Melissa's actual parents? Surely. And this is saying a lot, given, like, everything that we put up with from PLL, but surely this is one of the <laughs> stupidest plot points of the show. I had completely forgotten that, like, that's the explanation that is eventually given. Do you think that while Toby was in London, he ran a afoul of one Alex Drake, and she put on an American accent and hooked up with Toby like in a hotel room or something. I'm sure she yes, yes, I'm sure that she probably did. And she was just like, Toby, I'm just here in London too. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. I'm all better. Or or it was like a, a sliding doors thing where like she saw him and he didn't see her and then she like she like spent the whole week like following him around and being in love with him from a distance kind of a situation. There we go. There we go. Um, but yeah, this scene is really sad. I mean, as always, Troyan is doing great work. Spencer is just like, you know, she's the first, she's the first to like beat herself up about anything. And she's the first to accuse herself. And it's just, it's just so tragic. And it's, it's like, you know, Dean is coming at it from this place of like, oh, you can like admit, you know, the wrong thing that you did, not realizing, of course, that the wrong thing she thinks she did was trying to kill her, you know? It's just really sad. I wonder what he thinks it is. Like, I was wondering if he thinks it was like, a, like, a, it's, it's almost she's playing like maybe it was like a hit and run or something like a, a car accident or something of that nature. Because like, she obviously is like tormented by it and obviously feels like it's really bad. I was wondering if maybe he thought that like she had cheated on Toby or something. Oh, interesting. Especially considering that like the the letter from Toby from London, like that maybe like he'd found out and I don't know, something like that. I hate everything about this this program that he has her on. Like like he yeah. makes her run the extra mile because of quote her little stunt with the phone yesterday. Which another another example of them acting like, oh, Spencer's being bad, so we have to punish her. And also like well, why didn't you do something about it yesterday? Another weirdly delayed, like, you know, <laughs> a weirdly delayed response to whatever it is they're upset about. Yeah, it's a good point. And it's, he is coming at it from this standpoint of like, 
Like, I feel like he's acting as though she's purposefully antagonizing him this whole time. But he's, I feel like he's being equally antagonistic towards her. And so it's, and it almost seems like they're trying to do like an antagonistic, like hate flirt thing, which would be entirely inappropriate for this <laughs> doing with the teen girl he's supposed to be helping. Yeah. And later, I, I, mean, I definitely like, think when they when they're doing the rhyming stuff, it definitely seems like they're supposed to be hate flirting. I think I found it like slightly funny when Spencer rhymed at him. I was furious when he rhymed back at her. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Hannah and Travis are on a date. Hannah is very sweet and charming as she tells him that she's a picker, which means that whatever he gets will look more delicious and he should order some garlic bread. Mrs. D walks by, uh, correctly sussing out that this is a date and telling them to enjoy themselves while lightly sprinkling a bit of like weird energy around (laughs) as she always does. Um, Hannah... You know, I think Hannah just considers this conversation a win because Mrs. D didn't actively mention her weight. Uh, But then she sees Mrs. D talking to Tanner and Holbrook and being led away by them. And she is immediately distracted and texts Emily. Oh, my gosh. Like, so first of all, uh, it's it's night again while they're on their date. It's like pitch black outside. And they're eating outside at night in Philadelphia in November. (laughs) So... So fun. Hope you packed your mittens, guys. Um, that's that's whatever. But also, uh, <laughs> again, with the police work in Rosewood, have they investigated this tip yet? And now they're going to, like, bring Mrs. D in to question her? Like, oh, man. Ugh. And bring her in at, like, seemingly, like, 10 o'clock at night or something? <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Oh, um... But speaking of Emily, uh, Mona is backing Jenna's old muscle car out of the drive. Suddenly, Emily is standing behind her. Gasp! Uh, And Emily is, like, lit very well. She's lit, like, in the red light of uh, of the taillights, as if, you know, they're meeting on the streets of a seedy district in Amsterdam. Uh, Emily needs to talk. Mona has somewhere to be. When Emily asks if that somewhere is going to meet Presra Fitz, Mona tells her to get in. Yeah, my note for this scene is Emily wants to talk. I want them to make out. (laughs) (laughs) This episode is so bad. There's so much boring heterosexuality in it. Like, can't Emily and Mona just start making out? Like, can't that just be a thing that happens? They have good chemistry. They do. Yeah. Uh, Prezra's place, uh, Aria, shockingly, arrives, asking if she can come in, which he allows. Uh, she should beat him up here. I also feel like, Aria, you probably should not go over to his place alone for many reasons. One of them being, you don't know if he's going to, like, physically harm you. But another one being, you know that you are emotionally very vulnerable to this man Maybe bringing a fellow liar along would have been a good choice. Or her brother. Her brother, who's there for a fight this Yeah. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Agreed. Uh, so in the muscle car, Mona <laughs> says, she's surprised it took them this long to figure it out. 
And also, she expected it would be Arya that she'd be about to hook up with in the back seat. <laughs> wait, no, wait, no. They're talking about Prezra. Sorry, sorry. Uh, she was helping him with the book in exchange for him editing out any illegal things that she did. Uh, so, just to recap, he was blackmailing a teenager who has very publicly struggled with her own mental health and weaponizing that struggle to get her to further inform on Allison, Arya, and the liars. What a prince. Yep. Yep. Such a great guy. Such a great guy. Yeah, I just, I've missed Mona so much. Like, it's so good to have her back here. Um, I, this, yeah, this whole thing about how, like, she never got to read the alley parts. Like, you know Mona would have loved to read the alley parts of the book. She would have, indeed. Yeah, but probably, like, by herself and, like, maybe in the back. In, in a, yeah, in <laughs> having private time. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, so Arya tells Prezra that she didn't come here to hash things out, but she's here to tell him to leave. Uh, Prezra says he knows that he's going to take a leave of absence, but Arya says, no, he needs to leave town for good. Prezra thinks that they can work through this, but Arya... Thank God, says she doesn't want to see or hear from him ever again. Oh, that this were actually true and that she held on to this fury. Yeah, she is so clear and specific about what she needs here. And I applaud her for it. Me too. Me too. Back in the car, after what I presume was a long makeout sesh, Emily is confirming that Mona only started dating Mike in order to spy on Arya. Mona says Mike is a sweet guy, and she fell for him. She tried to tell Fitz that she wanted out, and he said that wasn't an option, so she had to let Mike go so that he wouldn't get any more entangled in her mess. Emily is aghast that this was all for nothing, but Mona says maybe not nothing. Someone stole the game from her and Radley. Emily has a line here where she's like, we all thought it was Cece, which killed me. I had to, like, pause the show and, like, take a minute to get myself together because y'all should have keep, you should have kept thinking that. Like, there's, okay. Anyway, uh, but Mona's, Mona's info here is that Prezra thinks he knows who stole the game, who it was. I love how we're all acting like Prezra is, like, like has the ability to put together all of these clues that the liars couldn't like, I get that he has a lot more surveillance than the liars do. And like, he has a lot more information, but I feel like there's, they're acting as though like Prezra's opinion is God in this matter. Well, especially because like later in this episode, Spencer is going to say like, like Hannah's going to be like, well, why should we believe anything that Cece says? And Spencer's going to be like, well, Prezra had it in his book. And it's like, well, yeah, he had it in his book because Cece gave him that information. Like, those are, those are like two of the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> yep, yep. But I do believe Mona here when she says that she didn't want Mike to get hurt. I do think Mona genuinely cares about Mike. I agree. Um, Prezra hands Arya the manuscript. She doles out a sick burn about waiting to read it until it's in the clearance bin. I was like, go, Arya. But he thinks she should read it now. I feel like he's like a breath away from being like, I really like your feedback on it, Arya. I really think I did a good job on this one. Um, But he says he thinks it can help her. And just so she knows, he was returning his publisher's advance. 
To which I just wrote, shut up, you sniveling weasel. He says that he guesses this is goodbye. He does not offer any more apologies. And she leaves. Yeah, this is a bunch of garbage. Um, I feel like he's framing this as like, I just want to help you. Well, you know, if you just wanted to help her, you could tell her that you think it's Mrs. D without making her read (laughs) your whole stupid, insufferable book. Like, you're not giving her a homework assignment. You could just tell her who you think is actively trying to murder her and her friends. Like, just, you know, just putting it out there is another thing you could do. Um, So the I just want to help you bit is garbage, especially because, like, her reading his work is something that was like a very big part of the emotional content of their relationship. So he's clearly just like manipulating her to getting her back in that space. Um, and the, the fact that he's like, Oh, I was returning my publisher's advance. I thought, you know, if I just canceled the book, you know, then the, the way that he's treating this, it's like, Oh, well, if the book isn't being published, then there is no book. It's all just basically a thought crime, right? You know, nothing <laughs> happened, did it? I fully wish this scene ended with Arya murdering him and just, like, hiding his body in the floorboards. That is my wish for this particular scene between the two of them. I agree. I agree. And it's such a Prezra move, too. Like, I talked about how, you know, in the earlier scene with Emily, he did that thing where he sort of, like, he sort of, like half this is such a move that he does and such a move that abusers often do where he like sort of admits to the thing ahead of time so that he can like already put the spin on it by the time that like Arya would like be mad about it or react to it and so it's like here I'm gonna give you the book like I'm gonna actually give you the book so like the book is like you can't even say that I'm hiding the book from you anymore because I'm giving it to you you know and it's like somehow framing that as like like now it's forgivable because he's like owned up to it or something. Right. And if I gave the money for the advance back, that totally nullifies the fact that I ever took that money. Like, right. you know, that never happened. That's nothing. Right. 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 And that, that it just sort of makes the book, if anything, the book is, is just a document that's going to help you. You know, mm-hmm. it's like, that's all it represents at this point because I didn't take money for it. Never mind how I actually wrote the book was like an incredible violation of your trust. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a lot of trash here. Um, of course, Aria cannot resist reading this manuscript. A sad song plays as she begins to read. Uh, Spencer, too, is alone in her big house because, you know, of course she is. Having a 24-7 sobriety counselor certainly doesn't mean that when she's sitting up, unable to sleep, having a hard time, that anyone is going to be there with her. What are we thinking? Uh, She hears her phone buzz and breaks into the locked desk drawer where it's being kept. uh, And there is an SOS message from Aria. Yeah, great hiding, sober gang. Like, great hiding Spencer's phone. And they didn't even turn it off. Like, (laughs) It has a really great charge, though, because it's been in there for, like, four days now. (laughs) Good point. Good point. Um, So, uh, 
Hannah finds out from the this whole text exchange that's going on that there's going to be a meetup at Emily's house. This date is really not going well. Uh, Hannah says to Travis that she has to leave. He asks if everything is okay and notes her distraction, pointing out that um, basically her phone has been the one that she's actually on a date with. Uh, I feel like, you know, Travis, this is something that you should probably get used to if you're going to date Hannah Marin because there's usually like some girl, whether it's Emily, Spencer, Mona, that she's going to be more emotionally invested in than you. That's just kind of the name of the dating Hannah game. I mean, Hannah is more emotionally invested in the garlic bread than she is in <laughs> Travis. She is, although she claims that she had a good time and then turns around and kisses him. He says nothing, but kind of smiles to himself. Uh, um, at Emily's, Spencer theorizes about whether Mona or Fitz could have put in the anonymous tip about Allison. Uh, but Hannah catches sight of a card on Emily's bulletin board written in the same handwriting. Shout out to Hannah being a handwriting expert. Um, Aria rushes in to announce that she has read all of Prezra's book. Um, Spencer is shocked that she talked to him. Emily like just throws in the info about Mike and Mona broke up. It was because of Fitz. Followed by the line, sorry, housekeeping, <laughs> which is a hilarious way for the writers to acknowledge the many threads they have going here that are not in any way coming together. Um, Spencer's back from rehab. Is she better? Yes. But what's with the SOS? The answer, complete with like, they're, this scene is so chaotic. They're just trying to like, they're trying to like tie it all together at the end by building up like some pumping reveal music. And then the reveal is Aria saying that uh, Fitz thinks Mrs. De Laurentiis is A. This scene breaking the fourth wall. Like I feel like I feel like that housekeeping <laughs> line is like Emily like turning to the audience and being like, "Everybody got your notebooks out? Keep it track at home." Like it's it, it is like I feel like the way that Spencer's like, "It's your SOS, so you go," and it's like it's your time to like be the character that's in the spotlight right now. Like it is, it is a ridiculous scene. But I have to say, like in an episode where so many of the liars have been saddled with terrible men who they have no chemistry with. It is a joy to have them in a scene, just the four of them together. Well, yeah, and this is the first time we've seen the four of them together. Uh, and yeah. we've had, like, there's been, like, a holding off on Spencer interacting with anybody because she's been, uh, like, she's been locked up, basically. Uh, and Arya's been off in Lost Weekend land. So this is, like, they're, they're all coming together and they're all, like... Um, they're all coming in at a 15 and they're all coming in at a 15 from totally different directions. Yeah, and it's unfortunate that there's really no space for the liars to apologize to Spencer for the very badly handled intervention that um, that that they pulled a couple of episodes ago and then sort of continued in the last episode with the way that they were treating her. Like, mm -hmm. yeah. Um, so Hannah... Uh, when we get back from the break, Hannah, like, doesn't believe that Mrs. D could be A because how would Mrs. D even know how to text? Uh, the liars start asking various questions like, does A want to bring Allison home? Uh, why would that seem to be at odds with the liars? Maybe because they think, bum, 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 Spencer tried to kill Allison. 
Spencer is so desperate for somebody to call her guilty here. She points out that she and Allie argued, and maybe it's a guilty conscience, and but maybe she hurt Allison, and oh my God, Spencer, you need so much therapy. Um, Spencer points out that um, the weird thing about how it's the Cece thought this and Fitz thought this, which as you pointed out, like that's water from the same well right there. Um, But then Spencer has an interesting line here where one of the characters, I think it's Emily, says the only person who actually knows what happened is Allison. And Spencer snaps, yeah, and she's not here to help us. Which I think is really an interesting element of where the liars are at right now, knowing that Allison is alive, but not having Allison there to sort of help them and guide them and being at once like wanting Allison back and also being furious at Allison. Um, And also, how was Spencer able to sneak out of the alleged fortress that she has been held captive in? Uh, You know, I do. I do like what you just mentioned about how. like they have all these kind of unfinished emotions about Allison because Spencer's also terrified of the yeah. possibility that that's what Allison could have to say about things that maybe she is the one that Allison's afraid of. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I also really love uh, this is a mess of a scene, but I also really love Hannah's unwavering um, support of Spencer in that, like, no, there's no way that you did this. There's yeah. this is not like because this is what feels true right now if that does not make it true uh and i really appreciate that hannah is like very clear-sighted and determined on that point i agree i totally agree uh so the situation it it just gets so tense uh that emily has to leave the room to get snacks (laughs) hannah follows her out not to i i like this little exchange too not to request (laughs) cheesy puffs as emily initially thinks uh, but to lovingly but firmly uh, call Emily out uh, and say that, like, that card that was from Paige matched the handwriting on the tip that Holbrook got. And Emily must have told Paige that Allison is alive. And Emily just looks like she looks stricken. Hannah has her here dead to rights. Um, bless Hannah Marin for, like, doing this, like, very... Um, like very caring call yes. out of Emily here. Like she doesn't do it in front of everybody. Cause it's already like a really, there's already a lot going on in there. Yeah. Um, so Hannah like does it out in the hallway and she's not really like accusatory, but she's just like, you got to deal with this. Yeah. This is one of those scenes where it's like Emily and Hannah very much feel like wives, like the way that Emily yeah. automatically <laughs> like knows, like assumes that Hannah's going to ask about cheesy puffs. <laughs> and the way that Hannah is like, Emily, like, be real with me here. Um, it's, I kind of feel like Emily could have responded, who's Paige again? Um, because, like, she literally, Paige, she's thought more about Mona. Uh, but yeah, this is, again, like, I feel like this is like a weird pacing issue of this episode is like, theoretically this is something that Emily should have been like actively worrying about throughout this episode, especially hearing that there was this anonymous tip and her knowing that, you know, Paige wanted to go to the police. Um, But I think because Paige isn't in this episode for whatever reason, it just kind of gets dropped and like Emily gets thrown back to the mystery beat on this one. Well, yeah. And Emily's been, um, Emily's been busy, like running around, uh, investigating the heterosexuality of, of everybody else. Like, Emily's been investigating 
the the Mona Mike breakup and all of this. So like, and maybe she's doing that to distract herself from uh, knowing that Paige is obviously the one who sent in this tip. Um, but here we are. Hannah knows there's no running away from it anymore. Of course. Um, I actually like this next little scene uh, as well. So Aria arrives home to find Mike on the couch watching a movie. He has this very like brother brotherly line where he's like, there's leftovers for you. I ate them. <laughs> Aria tells Mike that she's sorry for the breakup and had nothing to do with it. He says that he knows it was easier to blame her than admit she was right. And for the moment, there seems to be some amount of peace in the Montgomery sibling relationship as they both sit on the couch together, both heartbroken. I think this is my favorite scene of the episode, despite the fact that there have been other epi- like other scenes where people got in some good burns on Prezra. I really like this scene uh, between Arya and Mike. I do, too. I do, too. And, you know, like, I know I've said it before. I really like Mike. Like, I like he's he's probably my favorite man on the show. Probably. Probably. Um, And I just I think it's such a bummer that he gets like progressively sort of written out more and more as the series goes on, because I I like Mike. I like his relationship with Arya. I like his relationship with Mona. I think he's a good character. Yeah. Yeah. No, no argument there. Uh, So Spencer is sneaking back into the fortress of Hastings and is confronted by an angry Veronica who threatens to lock her in her room. She thinks that Spencer was out looking to score drugs on the mean streets of Rosewood. Uh, But then, then when she learns that Spencer was just hanging out at Emily's, uh, she acts like that was equally as bad. Um, They fight, and Spencer again asks her to specify uh, what exactly her parents were covering for her about during the summer that she was first using. Uh, Again, Veronica implies that it's something terrible, but refuses to get specific with her. They fight some more, and then Veronica sends Spencer off to bed. Yeah, oh, Spencer, like, it's, oh, man, what an awful situation to be in. I mean, this is, this is like somebody saying to you, like, I have something really important I want to talk to you about, and then, like, making you wait, you know, until, like, the next time you see them to tell you what it is. But it's so much worse because it's something about Spencer herself that she doesn't remember. Um, I just feel so awful for her here. Uh, also, like, Peter's just fucked off to wherever. Like, <laughs> he's sure not around for Spencer's I mean, he's... <laughs> Where do we think he is? Could he be next door checking up with Jessica De Laurentiis? He's like, oh, things are getting too real over there. <laughs> Time to go hang out with my other wife. Yeah, maybe so. Uh, well, I mean, they're plotting a murder together at this point. So they must be uh, they must be in, in some type of uh, league or communication together. Yeah, 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 they're, yeah, might just be, like, there's a lot of, like, late nights of murder planning that turn into sleepovers. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so Spencer checks her sheets, thankfully no dirt, but she does see a light on in Allie's room across the way. Uh, she goes over to look out the window, and we see Mrs. D, or somebody who sure appears to be Mrs. D, in Spencer's room behind her. Spencer kind of gets a feeling like she might be being watched, but when she turns around, it's actually Veronica. 
and we see the shadow of this Mrs. D-like figure uh, going downstairs. Now, of course, later we will learn that this is Mary Drake. I don't really know that that matters very much in the grand scheme of things because not even on the radar of the writers at this point. But uh, just for whatever it's worth, this is Mary Drake. <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, a tag. Uh, I think this is Julia Lyons' uh, cover of White Wedding plays as A is working on a bridal gown. Good times. Yep. Teeing up our next episode, Unbridled, which will feature all of the liars in wedding gowns. Oh my gosh. I that that's a great one. I cannot wait. This is a like we were talking before about um like we've we've often thought about how post time jump the show just heaps so much misery on Spencer. And yeah. I actually think that looking back, um, a lot of that starts after Toby fakes his own death. Like Spencer uh Spencer winds up in Radley. Spencer has to go to rehab and then has this like uh, prison inside your own home situation going on and then she's eventually going to be arrested and then like there's just yeah. so much uh, there, there's just so much that Spencer is going to have to deal with uh, as we run through the show and also with all the retconning that's going to happen uh, it's really hilarious to look back and think about what a terrible researcher Prezra was because <laughs> We have, like, there's so much information that the liars don't know that he just completely fails to find out. He doesn't know about Mary Drake. He doesn't know about Alex Drake. He doesn't know about uh, Cece being a lost De Laurentiis. Like, he hasn't found any of this information. What use is he? Probably because Cece is, like, his research assistant. So she's just, like, telling him, like, more and more wild tales. And he's, like you know, breathlessly transcribing them, but come on. Very, very good point. Very good point. Um, yeah, you know, when you were talking about the the misery that they just keep heaping on Spencer, I wonder if it's sort of um, almost a side effect of Troyan being their best actress, where it's like, oh, like, if we, like, give it to Troyan, like, she'll knock it out of the park, you know? And yes, that's true. Troyan is great. But, like, at a certain point, it just starts feeling like misery porn, you know? I I agree. And I'll also say that I feel like they do it to Hannah. Like, from, from this point on, they're doing it to Hannah quite a bit, too. Because Hannah is going to be the one who winds up in jail. Hannah True. is going to be the one who winds up getting kidnapped post-jump and tortured. Like, yeah, it's, it's really... Um, like Arya and Emily are on a different show, kind of, from, from here on out, in terms of the amount of... Uh, the amount of emotional like just emotional abuse that's really heaped on those characters although to be fair emily is the is the one to lose a parent true but not as a result of a not as a result of a that's true that's true um so you had mentioned earlier talking about the terrible men Oh yeah, yeah. We that we were talking about like the worst, the worst non OTP. So yeah. for Arya, uh, Arya's non OTP pairings are Noel, Jason, Karate Jake, Riley, Andrew, uh, Clark, and Liam. Do you of those? Do you stand by Riley being her like least chemistry, uh, least chemistry with? 
And are we not including Holden? Oh, I forgot about Holden. Okay, we can include Holden also. Um, uh, yeah, I would. I think I would stick with. I would stick with Riley. I actually. Yeah, I mean that that list ranges from characters I actually like, like Noel and Jason, to characters that I find mildly interesting but don't necessarily like, like Andrew, to characters I just don't really care about, like Clark and Liam. But Riley okay. is the only one that I find like actively offensive. What about you? Uh, yeah, no, I I will look. I, like I barely remember her and Clark, so I can't really like he was pretty forgettable, but Riley is like actively annoying. So I'm going to, I'm going to go with Riley too on that. I think now for Hannah's uh, your, your least favorite non OTP, I think we're going to do Travis, uh, but we have, we have Sean who is gay and who (laughs) Hannah somehow has more chemistry with. Uh, We have Mona, of course, unacknowledged. Uh, We have Ren, we have Travis Totruck, we have Mike, uh, we have Holbrook and we have Jordan, uh, and there might be some others, but those were the ones that I could initially think of. Uh, do we feel like Travis is the most passionless of those? Yeah, I think Travis. I think Travis is the worst. Although Jordan's pretty bad. Like that. That that relationship is like so lazily drawn. I feel, <laughs> but it it is super lazy. But they do. Um, they do have like that scene where she's topping him in the giant heart-shaped bed. So I feel like, I mean, That's... I feel like in terms of like chemistry, um, I'll I'll give it up for that. Sure, sure. Why not? I'll allow it. Um, okay, so Spencer, uh, we have Ian, Ren, uh, Alex, the valet at the club, Andrew. Uh, I think she kind of has a thing with Sober Dean at some point, like whether it's now or whether it's later. Uh, Johnny Garbage, British Colin, and Caleb. Oh, man. Now, Johnny, I mean, (laughs) Johnny Garbage is like, you know, he's, (laughs) he's hard to beat. But I actually think that British Colin might be, I, I might go with British Colin. He might be my least favorite of Spencer's. Man. Uh, oh, no. Also, um, uh, um, uh, the, the cop, the cop in the time jump, post time jump. Oh, my gosh. Marco. Yes, Marco. you're right. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, yeah. Oh, my God. Spencer really goes through it. And then the fact that, like, the OTP is then Toby, like <laughs> Jesus, poor Spencer. Um, this is why. Just, just side note, like this is why Spencer is a lesbian because she has like she's terrible at choosing men. <laughs> um, I think I'd go with Johnny as the worst, but like, oh man, that's a that's a that's a coin toss between like a few different guys. I mean, okay, but Johnny has like. I mean, it's not, like, a good interest. Like, he makes art out of garbage. But, like, they, like, go and they do, like, that that spray painting project that, like, she doesn't, right. reali- that she doesn't realize is graffiti or whatever. Like, <laughs> at, at least you can kind of see where Spencer would, like, get a bit of a thrill from that. Like, 
British Colin, his only recommendation is being British and playing darts. Well, and also literally the fact that like they clearly couldn't get the actor who plays Ren for that episode. And so yes. they were like, we'll just bring in this pseudo Ren. Yeah, that's true. Also, a point to Johnny Garbage Artist is that he really pisses off Toby. And so I like him for that. <laughs> yeah, and he creates that bizarre secret secret whisper <laughs> in the in Well, the that, bring, that brings me to, are we going to go through Emily's? non yeah i mean we're, okay. yeah of course we're going through all this. but so okay. so who do we think do we think it's johnny garbage artist or do we think it's british colin for spencer's worst pairing um well johnny garbage artist is around longer in my memory that's true. you know what i think we can i i think i'm going to declare this one a tie so we can I, we can I maybe think, come back to it i think a tie i think a tie is warranted okay okay that's that's fine that will suit my purposes here okay um are we doing like a bracket kind of thing? <laughs> Spoiler alert. Okay. March Madness. So, so, so for, yeah, we're going to try to find out like what is the worst, like what is the worst non OTP couple? That's what we're I going for. Um, okay. So, Emily, uh, her non OTP pairings we have uh, Ben, we have Maya, we have Paige, we have Samara. Uh, we have cousin Nate, uh, who I don't even know that I should really include. I might strike him off because he's not really a love interest. Uh, we have Talia, we have Sarah Harvey, and we have Sabrina. Now, I, oh, t- tell me your thoughts. This is going to be a hot take. <laughs> I might go with Talia. <gasps> Oh my goodness. I am stunned. I mean, I feel like the smart money is of course on Sarah Harvey because Sarah Harvey, but they have good energy as antagonists. They're very good as exes, I think. In in the world where like nothing is good anymore because it's after the time <laughs> and then we have to like constantly be obsessed about whether or not Sarah Harvey has hands, but um I do, I do think they have like good energy as exes. So I don't think my pick is Sarah. My pick is Sabrina. You know what? I agree. I agree. They're they're Sabrina... just so they're like so passionless. And, and Sabrina like, has less character. Like Talia has the whole weird backstory of like her husband who's like, oh, it's fine if she's gay, like as long as she still hooks up with me or whatever. Like, mm-hmm. and like she like Emily, does Emily buy her a bike or something? There's something about riding. (laughs) They definitely like, they definitely ride bikes on a date at some point. Yes. Yeah. But you're right. Sabrina and the house Sabrina is just like, just leaves. Like she's just, yeah. I don't even think, I don't even think they get a breakup. I think Sabrina just like is like written off. off And I, I don't know that they ever, do they ever go on it? Maybe they go on a date. But I feel like, like Talia, they they had like the flirting at work, they had the bicycling, they had the husband, like there was stuff going on there. Um, but Sabrina is just like, oh, all of a sudden she's gay and she had cancer and now you're going to like unromantically date her for an unspecified period of time. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I at least Sarah Harvey, like there's something to hate, you know, like there's something to like hold on to. Like she's so weird and off putting. But like, yeah, yeah, I think Sabrina. 
And and Sabrina is also like she's physically indistinct. She's just like another blonde girl in like true series of blonde girls that Emily has dated. Like I am not confident of my ability to pick her out of a lineup. <laughs> Very true. Good point. Okay. Okay, so now we're on to Allison. Uh, and Allison's non-OTP pairings uh, for for the PLL show at least include Ian, Noel, Wilden. Lorenzo, Holbrook, and Dr. Rollins. Oh my god, do you go with Lorenzo or Dr. Rollins? It's a tough call. It's a tough call. I think I go with Lorenzo. Um because like the like that's during the period where it's like so annoying that she's not with Emily cuz Emily is like with Sarah Harvey. And Lorenzo is, like, an adult. He's a cop. Like, there are so many reasons that it's, like, stupid. And also, they have, like, no chemistry together at all. And at least with Dr. Rollins, there's, like... Like, it's not good, but there's, like, an ulterior motive that we find out about. At least he turns out to have, like... At least he turns out to have been a villain. Right, right. And, I mean... He does bring us the joy of the coconut oil masks. So, mm-hmm. you know, I can't fully discount him for that. Okay. So, yes. Yeah, so, I, I would say Lorenzo. Okay. Okay, great. So, now we're going to look at... We're going to look at which pairing is worse. Aria and Riley or Allison and Lorenzo? I'm going to say Allison and Lorenzo because it goes on for longer. Okay. Okay. What about uh, you? Yes, I agree. Okay. Although Riley is really annoying, his time is brief. Right. Um, so and, yeah, and and, and, and Lorenzo, yeah, Lorenzo is like a weird, like he's he's like sort of proselytizing. He wants Allison to coach that church soccer league. So yeah, yeah I I think I think Lorenzo is worse. Plus, I hate Emily and Allison not being together. So yes, for for that reason, we'll go with that. Okay, so now the next bracket is Hannah and Travis Towtruck or Spencer and British Colin. I think Spencer and British Colin are worse. Are worse than Hannah and Travis. Yeah, because Travis Towtruck is like, he has like a couple of things. He, he like had, he saved Al- Ashley, for example. Yeah, I just find him to be like very inoffensive. Like he's just he's just a sort of nothing, but like Colin is like actively kind of creepy in my memory. Okay. Okay. So then next up, uh which is worse, Johnny Garbage Artist and Spencer or Emily and Sabrina? <laughs> oh, wow. Um <sighs> I actually, in this one, I argue for Emily and Sabrina because Emily and Sabrina, at the time that they're dating, they're like the only gay couple on the show, and they're just like nothing. They're just like a total that's, non-entity. That's true. And like, I feel like Johnny Garbage Artist at least is a character. Sabrina, <laughs> like, he's like not a good character, but he's a character. <laughs> 
<laughs> Sabrina is just like a weird a barista collection. with lady parts. Yeah, and like a weird collection of like convenient traits for the plot. So <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I yeah. She's conveniently gay and conveniently had cancer and conveniently makes weed gummies. Like yeah. <laughs> Okay, okay. So now we have to look at um we have to look at what oh, so we have we have three now um so do we think it's spencer and british colin emily and sabrina or allison and lorenzo that are like the worst non-otp couple well okay i have a i have a i have a controversial thought of of one other couple we could throw in there oh oh absolutely but it involves the perfectionists oh uh, no okay okay oh god is it mona and mason it's mona and mason because that way oh! Yeah. oh it's so bad oh no <laughs> um that that is really but like that one is almost like that one is so bad it's almost yeah. not fair to include it i okay. think we don't have to include it we don't have to we don't we can forget about the perfectionists uh, yeah, I mean, I would be willing to consider Allison and that, like, <laughs> oh. Man, my memory is not great. The professor of salsa dancing or whatever <laughs> that she takes up with. Who has, like, an open marriage with his wife. and Yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. Okay, we'll forget about the perfectionist and we'll stick to the three. Okay, so what are the three? So it's Hannah. Uh, no, no, it's no. Uh, Emily and Sabrina, Allison and Lorenzo, and Spencer and British Colin. I think Allison and Lorenzo is my least favorite. What about you? Um, yes. I think that because he like lasts the longest of the ones that are left. I th- okay. So we have, we have scientifically determined that Allison <laughs> and Lorenzo are the worst non-OTP couple. Uh, but, you know, listeners, we are very keen to hear your thoughts as well. This is certainly, uh, yeah. th- this is certainly a, uh, it is Hot take Valentine <laughs> or anti-Valentine as it may be uh, activity. Well, and also of Allison and Lorenzo, like I feel like part of what makes that couple so bad is like with Emily and Sabrina and Spencer and British Colin, like they're annoying couples, but like Lorenzo actively makes Allison a worse character. Yeah. That's during the time when Allison is acting like an alien house frau. Yeah. So. And yeah. she's like making him soup and stuff. It's weird. It's weird. Well, this was super fun. We should do, we should do, I feel like I would be really interested if we were to do like what we thought the best non-OTP couples were. Oh, I would, yeah. That's like a whole, that's like a whole nother conversation, which I definitely did. Uh, I definitely did think about while I was, while I was working on this, but. I might maybe- go with, I think I'd go with Spalab, like off the top of my head. You know, I was thinking it would have been so interesting if Spalib, uh had continued and if Hannah's OTP wound up being Ren. Oh, or Mona. Oh, I mean, you know, Mona is going to be the <laughs> sentimental favorite for Hannah, like, forever, for, like, all right. of her. Like, we, we should really... <laughs> But like in a world where that do, could we happen. should do a favorite we should do a favorite non OTP uh, couple where it's like okay what do you like better Spencer and Mona Hannah and Mona <laughs> Aria and Mona 
Yeah, that's the thing is if we if we written on OTP couples, it would just turn into us actively writing fanfic on the podcast. Um, but I'm glad. Thank you for indulging me uh, in this super fun. In this I love quick that. look at the um, at the OTPs that just did not make the cut. Um, the no TPs, if you will. The no TPs of PLL. <laughs> I love it. Well, if you have thoughts about the no TPs of PLL or the OTPs of PLL, you can, of course, send us an email at everybodyapodcast at gmail.com. You can also check out our Instagram at everybodyapodcast. Um, you can also send in a rating and review on iTunes. We would appreciate it. We'll be back next week with Unbridled, which will be a super fun episode and maybe maybe we should talk about the otps in that one because that's like the wedding-y episode oh that's true that's true okay we'll we'll do a we'll do a wrap at the end where we talk about like the the best not no tps there we go there we go um all right well until next time take care